Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Hannah May, and this is Flying Faith Talks, the official podcast of FlyingFaith.org, the main space for Christian creatives everywhere. Today's episode was recorded on March 11th, 2022. This is episode three, and the title of today's episode is Reality versus Integrity. So another one of the common issues that I find a lot of Christian creatives tend to have trouble with is which is more important to be realistic with our creations or our writing and our stories or to play it safe. I think everyone kind of can understand what we're talking about here because, you know, it's this isn't necessarily unique to Christian creatives because I've also known that there are a lot of other uh, writers, you know, regardless of what belief system they have you know, who are always like questioning, okay, how realistic do we want to be? Because nowadays we have a huge demand for realism in the media, Um, you know, because people look at a story, a movie, game, whatever, and they're like, oh, that's so unrealistic. You know, they kind of come with that argument. And then all of a sudden, those who come up with this stuff, we have to all of a sudden have this pressure that, okay, we got to have a sense of realism in here or no one's going to believe us or no one's going to really take it seriously. And yet there's also the other camp most of which includes, you know, concerned parents, you know, with susceptible kids, you know, who want to have good stories that they can show their kids. And yet nowadays it's getting harder and harder for them to feel like they can really take them to see anything anywhere safe. I mean, even just this morning I was hearing about this big conspiracy about Pixar's new film, Turning Red, you know, that uh, there are a few comments made by some critics and now there are lots of parents who are really concerned about taking their kids to now see a Pixar film because it, it's no surprise, people, that it seems like the media, even Disney and Pixar, are starting to really push tickets on certain political agendas and underlying um, messages to kids that are not following biblical principle. And yes, it's very concerning. We should all be concerned about that. But now that we are in this kind of world where parents have to be more careful than ever and, you know, people in general, I'm not even going to say parents, people in general have to be more careful than ever on what kind of messages they're consuming in their stories and, you know, elements in the stories as well. Now, uh, any Christian who tries to come up with a story for whatever form of medium they're trying to do um, there's a new war going on inside of them now. It's like, okay, what do I do? I want to be able to make this big, exciting, thrilling story, and I want to be taken seriously. So I want to do. I want to have a sense of realism in here, but at the same time, I don't want to like alienate my fellow Christians because it's got some sort of like really touchy subject or touchy scene, uh, that sort of thing. Anyway, this question or this debate, you could even say. Um, is so fierce and so often talked about in the writing community that I I even try to tackle it myself in a blog uh, called Game of Reality. Um, It was basically centered around the Game of Thrones series, you know, kind of looking at how they took their realism too far. And then we, of course, have the question of, you know, how far should realism go? You know, that, that main question. And I highly do encourage you guys to read that one if you want to. Because, you know, Game of Thrones, if, if any series was notorious for having extreme realism, so they say, anyway, um, it would be that show because it would not shy away from really, um, frankly, crass stuff that probably was, yeah, probably was pretty realistic for whatever the kind of time period that this uh, fantasy series was set around. Um, it's just the problem is it was so extremely swinging that direction. 
that I cannot recommend anyone watching that show. I mean, nudity, extremely grotesque deaths. I mean, it was just so unnecessary on so many levels that I can't in good conscience tell anyone to watch it. This is not a knock against George R.R. R. Martin. The man is a very good writer. His characters are great. His story and plotting is very, very good. I am not going to deny the man his talent. But I, I don't know how much from what we see in the show, I don't know how much of it is like the show writers adapting his work or he himself or whether it's a combination of the two. But when they're going so extreme that every time there's an episode, I always feel the need to close my eyes or to turn my head away or to like, eh, I don't, I don't want to hear this crass language anymore. You know, there's a problem. You know, there's just a major problem. Now, before we continue the rest of this episode, I do want to make a couple of exciting announcements. Most exciting of which is that my debut novel, Celestial, is coming out May 12, 2022. And you can order yours right now at a discount price on Amazon, Goodreads, Barnes & Noble, Apple Books, just about any bookseller that you can find, both in ebook and paperback. And one of the easiest ways for you to order your book is to visit flyingfaith.org, click on the Celestial book page, and you will find shopping links to all areas where it's sold. So if you want a discount price, then now is your chance. And in other exciting news, the Celestial prize draw is just around the corner. It's gonna occur on April 16th, live on Instagram. I'm going to be giving away Celestial-themed tote bags and notebooks, and I even employed my little jewelry beading skills, and I created six angel-themed Swarovski crystal bookmarks. You guys are not going to find bookmarks like these anywhere else in the world. They were personally designed and handmade by me to represent all six classes of angels that I have created for my story. And guys, these crystals that I used for these bookmarks, it's unlikely I'm going to be able to get all of these again. So, so these bookmarks are probably only going to exist once. And of course, the ultimate grand prize in the Celestial Prize Draw is two signed copies of the book itself. And only my subscribers get to have their names put into the draw. So if you would really like to be a part of the prize draw, subscribe to flyingfaith.org right now before April 12th. It's April 12th. By the time that date's passed, it is too late to be part of the draw. So if you want to be in the draw, once again, remember, April 12th is the cutoff point. Then on April 16th, live on Instagram. Again, this is a live event. We're going to have a lot of fun. I'll be drawing the winners. And for more information on Celestial and all events surrounding it, visit flyingfaith.org today for more information. Now, back to our episode. Now, clearly, this issue about reality versus integrity is centered around like two different biblical principles that seem to be in opposition of each other. On the one hand, we want to be careful about what we consume. So we don't want to like be constantly soaking in um, all the bad stuff all the time. I mean, the Bible does say that we're supposed to um, fill our minds with things that are right, things that are good, things that are beautiful, things that are just, you know, those sorts of things. Because if you keep consuming the bad stuff, that's basically what you're going to be housing in you and that's what you're going to be coming out of you. You know, like what you eat, that's what comes out. <laughs> um, but at the same time, we want to be taken seriously. We want to be truthful. We want to be honest because like the Bible says, we are to be honest, you know, in all things in every way. Um, but here's the question, though. Is there a wrong way to handle the truth? Is there a wrong way to uh, present um, God's word and present his messages? Yes. 
if you read verses like Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And right there, just the simple statement of being rightly handling the word of truth implies that there is a wrong way to handle the word of truth. So we Christian creatives do have a need to be concerned about how to present the truth. You know, to be both realistic and have integrity, just like Jesus did. In light of that, the question becomes, how do we have reality and integrity in the story? You know, they don't have to be opposites of each other. They can go together. And while there have been a lot of solutions offered to writers as ways how to try to balance this out, or to figure out how do you find realism, uh, lots of times they fall kind of short, or they are very, they're not very clear cut. For example, one of the knee-jerk responses to how do you figure out realism, you know, that question is to say, oh, make it miserable, because life is miserable, so it has to be miserable. All characters must be jaded, every marriage has to have an affair, all the wars have to have bloodbaths, and I'm not saying that we can't have those in stories and that that's not a fact of reality, but when that's pretty much all the stories are anymore, and I'm telling you, I have literally had it up to here with some of these cliches, like the dysfunctional family, the dad who's always working, the dumb, obnoxious teenager who thinks she knows everything and it has the stupid boyfriend with the tattoos. It literally perpetuates the negative parts of reality without acknowledging the good parts of reality. It's an error of the extremes. Because you know what? Just as much as it's an extreme to say that all life is misery, it's just as much an extreme to say all life is sunshine and rainbows. Because clearly it isn't. Which leads to a more common yet more sensible piece of advice that the writers should draw from their own personal experiences to determine how realism should work in their story. Now, there is some truth to that because whenever you, if anyone writes anything or even so much as invests in anything, even if they're not creative, their life experience is going to have a play in that. You know, everyone has experiences in life and lots of times that feeds into their personality and sometimes also feeds into their decision making. So clearly when you write and you're trying to have some realism, it does help to kind of build off of your personal experience. But here's the limiting flaw in that advice. Everyone experiences life differently. I mean, why else do you think we have this situation where some people take realism to extremes? Like one side says it's all misery, other side says it's rainbows. Um, because everyone, nobody has had the same experiences in life. Nobody's lived through the same things. Nobody's uh, lived with the same kind of people. No one's worked the same kind of jobs. No one's had the same combination. Everyone is 100% unique. So... When people are asked, what's realism? Nobody really can tell exactly what realism is because some people think it's realism has got to be based on what they have experienced. But, it can, but it's possible that it can be nothing like what another person experienced. Case in point, a young adult American girl like myself living in a first world country wouldn't have the same experiences as a young adult in Africa where she has to walk hours every morning just to get to a well so that her family can have water. I mean, clearly, our experiences of life are not going to be the same at all. Hence why when this question is brought up, you know, reality versus integrity, and what is reality in the first place, nobody can really agree. Nobody can. So where does that leave us? 
is there no solution? Are we just going to have to agree to disagree with each other on what reality is? Well, actually, no, we don't have to do that either because somebody has already defined reality, God himself. I mean, it stands to reason he made reality and he's defined reality over and over again in his word all the time. And according to him, he refers to life as being a combination of both joys and miseries. I mean, just read the book of Ecclesiastes for our pretty thorough view of life. Rain falls upon both the righteous and the wicked. Everyone goes through negative experiences. Everyone goes through good experiences. Yet, according to him, part of reality is understanding that those who are righteous, even though they go through the same experiences, the end result of what they go through is always going to be better than the wicked because they have the Lord. They have a relationship with him. And so every event that they go through is meant to further their relationship with him until they get to be with him. So God himself is the literal definition of reality. He made it. He sustains it. He's the end game of it. So he gets the right to define how we present reality in our stories. You know, his reality is the ultimate reality. Um, but of course, that still doesn't answer the question, of course, how do we balance out how much realism to put in versus how much we have to hold back because we're scared about losing readers because they're like, oh, that's too dark or oh, that's too bloody. Well, first of all, we shouldn't raise other people's opinions too high. Yes, it is important to consider others' feelings, but at the same time, if you go too extreme with that, you're going to end up in that area where, you know, you're trying to please everyone, which is impossible. You're not going to please everyone. So it won't do to play it so safe with your integrity that you just produce these really dull books or you're not writing the story that you really want to write because you're afraid that you're going to freak somebody out or you're going to alienate your Christian friends and family. Now, that's not going to do at all. On the other hand, should that give us license to say, I don't care what anyone else thinks. And if they're living in their bubble, then maybe by reading this really intense scene in my book, they're going to actually get a dose of reality and learn to cope with it. Well, as I would usually say, when you have a question like this, it's always good to go back to the word. So let us consider Paul here. Paul as an apostle had the opportunity to speak to myriads of different kinds of people with different kinds of backgrounds and different levels of sensitivity. He had to learn what truths had to be presented right away or unapologetically so that people, even if it hurt, that it was important for them to hear it because they had to grow from it. Um, and those times also when he had to hold back certain information because the person he was talking to wasn't ready for that yet. I mean, Jesus did the same thing throughout his ministry as well. So that right there presents that there needs to be a sensitivity to your audience. What kinds of people are you expecting to be speaking to in your story? Is it generally an older audience, a mature audience, a younger audience, an audience who has somewhat of an understanding of the word, or people who have no understanding of the word? That all comes into play. Yet when it comes to how much reality to have, both in its uplifting and nitty-gritty areas, the question no longer becomes reality versus integrity because as we were saying earlier, reality and integrity aren't, aren't technically and shouldn't necessarily be opposed to each other. The two should work together. They should blend together. The question actually becomes love versus pride. Is it all important to you that you be the most realistic writer possible and that people take you seriously or is it all important to you to be liked, that you are willing to cater to every little thing that someone says to you? 
both sides sound sensible, but both sides are being fed by a prideful need. It's not really putting the readers or the viewers or audience first. It's really putting the author's desires first. Because if a Christ-like love is at the center of our storytelling and our tactics, then we understand the need to have both reality and integrity and to learn, based on what kind of an audience we're most likely going to be speaking to, how much is too much and how much should be said, even if it's a little uncomfortable. And when I say loving your audience, I don't just simply mean liking them. I'm referring to the kind of love that is willing to take the time and the energy to understand what kind of sensitivities you're dealing with, as well as what needs and issues do they have in their lives that should be addressed because they're sheltered from it too much. Like they're not really challenging themselves in these areas, so they need to be challenged. That's the kind of love I'm talking about. In fact, the Lord even speaks about how pointless having truth and speaking truth is if you don't have love. We can find it right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And in the middle of the rest of these verses, there's another thing. This whole sequence is describing all the things that love is. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And then jump down to verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Then skipping down to verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Now consider how some people, some writers and creatives have used realism. Some have used it for shock value. Some have used it for relevance. Some have used it for popularity because realism today is popular. But none of those reasons are really born out of love, is it? The Game of Thrones series certainly wasn't using realism to help people become better or to understand new truths. It was made to make money. And what makes money? Having the guts to show as much lewd, crude, and bloody stuff as they have to rack up those viewership numbers because few others at the time was willing to go as far as they were. Yet this passage in Corinthians here says, love rejoices with truth. It's not forcing truth, it's rejoicing with it. The reason behind the truths or the reality being spoken out of love is because it's for the edification and the growth of the other person. So whenever we're writing a scene that might lead into really touchy or really intense parts, which in and of itself is not bad. I mean, even the Bible has some pretty ugh, parts too that you wouldn't really want to be showing the kids till they're older. If we go about writing it out of a love for the people who will be reading it, we suddenly start asking ourselves, is this sequence, this fact, or this moment, or this word, is it going to be edifying, clarifying, or a growing moment for the person? 
Is it going to make them aware of something that maybe they should be aware of, even if it's uncomfortable? Or is this really sensitive content in there just because I want to shock the person? Or because I'm that desperate to have things unfiltered that I don't care if it hurts more than it helps? Now, in many cases, again, that's not very cl always clear cut, in which case you're going to have to pray and ask the Lord to make it clear to you how does he interpret that part of your story? Does he interpret it as something that would be helpful to the person in the end? Or is he going to say, you know, this really isn't serving a purpose beyond being harmful? It takes time. It takes work. But as we just observed, love also takes time and it takes work. But now if we understand that if our actions are being led by a selfless love for the other person, then we're going to take the time to understand how much we should pull back, and how much we should challenge. And when that path to understanding is not so clear-cut, that's when we seek the Lord, seek his word, and seek trustable friends who can look at our work and be able to honestly say, this moment is extremely uncomfortable and unnerving. I wouldn't be comfortable seeing this, and I don't see any purpose behind it beyond that. Or... Even though that was uncomfortable, I can understand the point that you're making and it is very profound. Then you will find your path to combining reality and integrity. No need for debate, no need for war. The two become one. Thanks again for joining me here on Flying Faith Talks. And hey, if you really like this podcast and you'd like to learn more about me or the website, Subscribe to FlyingFaith.org and follow Flying Faith on Facebook, MeWe, Instagram, and Pinterest. And hey, subscribers receive exclusive content like updates on the website, updates on my book, sneak peeks, chances for prizes, and all my subscribers receive a 25% discount on my Flying Faith developmental editing service. Basically, it's a service where I not only help you hone your craft with your book, but also help you test its spiritual integrity. Anyway, that's all for today. Thanks, guys, and come back soon.